thank you. Appreciate that, fellas. And may that be our cause and our life and our desire of every person is to magnify and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great cause that is, a uh, biblical cause in all reality. Romans chapter number 5, and uh, we're continuing through Romans. And as I said last week, we're, uh, this chapter really is, is understanding salvation and uh, kind of explaining a lot more of salvation. Of course, we looked at the first five verses last week, and we're going to pick up in verse uh, number six this week. But as we look at this, it is nice to help us get a good grasp on what salvation is to us. And uh, I thought about this illustration, and some might might help some, it might not help others, but uh, when you bought your first car, you certainly didn't understand what you were getting. Uh, you understood that it was a vehicle. You you understood, you, but you probably didn't understand uh, that it had a gas pump in it, and it pumped the fuel from the fuel tank all the way up to the motor. You probably didn't understand that uh, it would it would mix that gasoline with air and vaporize it and pressurize it in the piston as the piston comes up, and then that spark plug would ignite and uh, explode inside of the motor, pushing that piston back down causing your motor to rotate. You probably didn't understand that as that motor rotated, now it's running as a regular cycle, that your wheels aren't moving. It requires a transmission to get that engaged so that your wheels start moving. You probably didn't understand all of that. Um, nor did you need to understand any of that to buy a car. You probably wanted to know, does it run? Does the radio work? And do I like the color? That's probably what you understood about your first car. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, that there, there's, that's totally acceptable. But salvation's kind of like that. Um, we, we understand, hey, we are saved and we're going to heaven. Praise the Lord. Uh, and, we, and that is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But as we look at the book of Romans, it explores a little bit deeper uh, some of the intricacies and some of the details of salvation uh, that are good for us to actually understand and, uh, and know how all of that works. And so uh, as we look at this, understand that we're uh, looking at some of the finer points of salvation and, and what it all means. And it's not required to understand those things in order to be saved. I want that to be clear. But it is very helpful for us as Christians to understand all of the benefits that we get from that salvation. So Romans chapter 5 and verse number 6 it says, for when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let's stop right there and, uh, and let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get into the message this evening. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. God, we thank you for your many blessings. God, thank you for your word that we can study. And uh, God, as we study this chapter and as we look at these verses and, and God, as we try to understand and, and realize really how great salvation we have received and really what a wonderful uh, thing it is, a gift really that you have given us in salvation. God, may we grow in our appreciation for all that you've done for us. May we grow in our love to you. 
for how great truly you are in saving us. And God, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me. God, I pray that you'd help me to, uh, to, to teach and preach uh, your word and give clarity to all thought and to uh, each word. And Father, we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we think about this idea of salvation, and we think about the idea that, uh, that thank the Lord for our salvation, uh, sometimes you can't really appreciate uh, a full, the full gift of salvation without knowing where we once were. And he branches off in these verses to really explain where we were. We'll look in verse number six and we see our pitiful state uh, as he explains it. He puts there in verse number six, for when we were yet without strength. And uh, as we think about that, when we were lost and when we were not saved before our salvation, we were without strength. Uh, and I put down there, we were weak. We, there was weakness for us. Uh, listen, it's true, and we've said it over and over again, that we are absolutely powerless to save ourselves. And so God, looking down from heaven and seeing the state of man, that we were weak, that we were powerless, that we were without strength. We had no ability in and of ourselves to, to save ourselves. Now listen, we don't like to think of ourselves that way. Uh, we don't like to think of ourselves as unable to help ourselves. Um, one of the most, uh, maybe not difficult, but but one, one of the hardships of going to a foreign country is being absolutely helpless. I remember going there as a teenager, and, uh, and I took a missions trip, and I was down there for several months. And, and as I was there, uh, I, was, I was right close to the missionary. And, uh, and, and I, everything they said, I had no idea what they were saying. I had no idea what was going on. And I was constantly asking uh, them, what did he just say? What, what's going on? Uh, because I, I felt absolutely helpless to follow the context of any conversation whatsoever or understand any of the surroundings of what was going on. And I was absolutely helpless and powerless to completely understand any of that. Listen, that is a, uh, that's a humbling experience to be able to go into that. Listen, for lost people, they do not want to admit or much less accept that they are helpless when it comes to salvation. But the fact of the matter is, they are. They're without strength, as the Bible says. He says, when we were yet without strength. You know, there's absolutely no way we said that to save ourselves, but the Bible clarifies that in Isaiah 64, 6. He says this, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rats. That verse is amazing, to be honest with you. That means that the very best that man can muster up and the very best that man can try and polish up and make it look presentable to God. And man looks and, whoa, that's really good. I mean, that looks presentable. I mean, boy, that guy is the best of the best of mankind. And, and when, when, when he stands before God and God examines that righteousness, the very best that man can put forward, it looks like a filthy rag to God. 
It looks like a rag that's sitting in the garage that you, uh, that you uh, wipe the oil all off and then you throw it in the corner and then you wipe more oil off and then you wipe the glue off and then you wipe something else off and, and it's a rag that's absolutely filthy. I was in my garage the other day and, uh, and uh, I, I told one of the, the girls who were there and I said, uh, I said, hand me that rag and they, they grabbed it and they said, this? I said, yeah, that's a good rag. I said, you know, wipe that thing off. I, I'm going to get it dirty. I'm going to ruin it. I'm not trying to keep it nice and neat. I mean, I'm just going to wipe oil. I'm going to wipe stuff that will never come off of that thing. You know what? When I'm done with it, I'm going to throw it away because it's a wrap. It's not worth anything. And the Bible compares all of our righteousness, the very best that we can present, the very best that we can bring to God as a filthy rag that is dirty, that is used up, that is not really good for anything as far as usefulness, short of wiping up messes. And that's what the Bible declares our righteousness to that. And so he says in verse number six, for when we were yet without strength, we are powerless to save ourselves. But it gets worse than that in that we are powerless to overcome our own sin in our life. Lost people that are without strength, they are powerless. Look with me in first John chapter five. First John chapter five. And verse number four, and I want you to notice this. Now, uh, listen, this is probably not the, the best witnessing tip. Hey, did you know you're absolutely powerless? I mean, that's probably not the first thing that you want to tell somebody. They do need to realize they're sinners, but we're, we're exploring salvation and we're understanding all of these finer points. And the fact of the matter is they are absolutely powerless to save themselves. And, and 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 4, 1 John 5, 4, the Bible says this, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Let me stop right there and say this. Because we are saved and because we are born again, and because the, the, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, we have the power to overcome the world. But without God and without Him and without the Spirit of God, we do not have that power. So the Bible says, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world and this is the victory that overcometh the world even our faith who is he that overcometh the world but he that is, that believeth that Jesus is the son of God and it's very clear those verses are very clear and they would teach us that somebody who is saved and somebody who is born again and somebody who has trusted the Lord as their own savior has the power to overcome sin in their life but listen a lost person is without strength they're powerless they're weak to overcome their own their own sin and they cannot get the victory over their sin in their life. And listen, you know what that makes for? It makes for wicked, ungodly people. That's what the Bible says. Go back to Romans chapter 5. And that's exactly what he calls them. Look in verse number 6. He says in verse number 6, Romans 5, 6, he says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died, for who? The righteous? No. For the ungodly. For those that are wicked and lost in their sin. Go on to the, uh, uh, let's see, verse number 7. Scarcely, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, uh, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love 
toward us in that while we were yet sinners. And so in verse 6, he calls us ungodly. And in verse number 8, he calls us sinners. And, and certainly, uh, somebody that is without God and somebody that is not saved is a wicked, ungodly sinner. That's just what the Bible says. Listen, he described that for us uh, back in Romans. Go, go back with me to Romans chapter 1, just real quick. And we'll recap these verses that we looked at uh, several weeks ago, probably a month or so ago. Uh, Romans chapter 1 and verse 28. <clears throat> and he gives us a whole list of these things. In Romans chapter number 1, in verse number 28, just back a few pages, he says, Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgments of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do that. Listen, that's a good description of lost people. Uh, because that's where they're at. And you say, well, why don't those people like to go to church? Well, I'll tell you why they don't like to go to church. Because they're, they're, that whole list lays it out. Uh, they're, they're fornicators. They're liars. They're this. They're that. And they don't like. The Bible says Jesus said, I am the light of the world and I am come. And, and he said, listen, men don't like the light because it exposes their evil deeds. They don't want to draw nigh to that. But listen, even in our most wicked estate, God still loves us. That's what the Bible says. Man, I, I appreciate the very love of God, but we can see the wickedness of man. We can see our pitiful state. Uh, you see, listen, that's where we were. That's what we were before we got saved. We're not here setting at Anchor Baptist Church tonight because we're polished, good people. We're setting an Anchor Baptist Church tonight because God has changed your life. And I'm grateful that He did. I'm grateful for every person that's represented who is saved, who is born again, that says, man, but by the grace of God, there go I. Hey, I'm grateful for God's grace. I'm grateful for God's salvation. We were in a pitiful mess before we got saved. And who knows uh, what would have become of our life in all reality. And I'm grateful that our path was changed. But we see our pitiful state as we look at this passage. But listen, I want you to see as well our precious salvation. We see our pitiful state in those verses, but I want us to see our precious salvation. Look with me again in verse number six. He says, for when we were yet without, without strength, I love this phrase, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Our precious salvation. Listen, it was the right time. Hey, God is never late. God is always on time. And I'm grateful for that. Uh, he will never show up late. Now listen, sometimes we're praying about something and we're expecting God to do something and God doesn't always do what we expect and we think, God's late. He, he was supposed to do something. 
and he didn't get it done. And listen, God is never late. He will never show up late. He is always on time and he always does what he says he's going to do. Just because it's not what you or I expect him to do, he's not late. And listen, in due time, he showed up uh, and he was right on time. Uh, we can see the, the promptness of his time. And listen, I want you to see, notice this as well, that, that uh, the idea of due time was that it was planned from the very beginning. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I like this passage. 1 Peter chapter 1, as we think about the due time, that it was the right time that Jesus came, and it was, he was not late. Uh, he was right on time. The Bible says in uh, 1 Peter chapter number 1, and verse number 18, the Bible says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. And that verse 20 clarifies, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. What does that word foreordained just simply means uh, that Jesus was appointed before the foundations of the world to die for your sins. Isn't it amazing? And aren't you glad that Jesus Christ, listen, when they created this world, God knew that man would fall into sin. But remember, God created man with a free will, and so he allowed man to live on this earth, but, but he devised a plan, and according to that verse, hey, foreordained before the worlds were made, uh, that, that Jesus Christ would come and bring to us the plan of salvation. Listen, God wasn't late. God was right on time. You can see it was planned beforehand. You can see his promptness. I want you to see that he, it was also prophesied. Uh, we don't have time to go there, but you can mark it down in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 and 5. He says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Listen, it had been prophesied way back in when. We've looked at many times during the month of December. I like to look at the prophecies of the coming of Christ. And around Easter, sometimes we'll look at the prophecies of the death and, and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, as we talked about the will of God, uh, uh, it was a Psalm 22, I believe it was, that I, I referenced that uh, was a prophetic psalm that would point to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ when uh, it said that His joints would all be out of place and that he, he would be pierced in the hands and pierced in the feet. It was prophesying when Jesus Christ would come and die on the cross. All of that was laid out because God had a plan and He was planning on sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross of Calvary. And what I'm simply saying is, what a wonderful God we serve that had all of that planned out. He knew what was going on, and it was the right time. Uh, he knew what time it was to send Jesus Christ to the world. And we can see that uh, back in Romans chapter 5, we can see it was the due time, it was the right time. And Jesus was not late. And Christ died 
at the right time for the ungodly. I want you to notice as well that, uh, that we are justified. Look with me at verse number 9. We didn't get down that far, but he says there in verse number 9, much more than being now justified by His blood. And we've talked quite a bit about justification in chapter 3 and chapter 4. He covered justification a lot, but justified simply means uh, to pronounce free from guilt or blame, to declare or prove to have done that which is just, right, or proper. Praise the Lord. When you got saved and when you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, you probably didn't know what justification was, but God took a giant eraser and erased your sin and wiped that slate clean. And I'm grateful that at the right time, Jesus Christ came to this world and He shed His blood on the cross of Calvary that you and I could be justified and our life could be made clean. What a precious salvation we have. Look with me at verse number 9. In Romans 5, he says, not only justified, he says, much more than being now justified by his blood. I love this phrase. We shall be saved from wrath through him. I got to looking at that. And I'm grateful, listen, that we are saved from the wrath of God. You look at that again, that phrase. He says, we shall that is future, be saved from wrath through Him. Now what is wrath? Well, I looked that up. I, I got to wonder and I thought, how, where does the word wrath show up in the Bible? And as you look at the word wrath, it shows up quite a bit in the Old Testament. And, but you know what? The, in the New Testament, it shows up most in the book of Revelation. You know what? Those, when all those vials are poured out and, and God pours His judgment, that is the wrath of God that is poured out on the sins of the world. And what I'm saying is, listen, He says here that we shall be saved from wrath. Praise the Lord. We're not going to have to endure the wrath of God. Why? Because Jesus' blood justified us. It wiped our slate clean. And now we stand before God with an absolutely perfect record, not because of what you and I have done, but rather what Jesus Christ did to cleanse our record and make us free from all of those sins. And we shall be saved uh, from the wrath of God. Next time you read through the book of Revelation and you see all those vials of the wrath of God that are poured out on the earth, hey, praise the Lord that you're saved. You're not going to have to go through that. Because we are saved from wrath through Him. Not only that, but look in verse number 10. He says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Not only are we justified, not only are we saved, but we're reconciled. That means that we're brought back into friendship with God. If you have two people and they, uh, maybe a husband and wife, that'd be a good illustration because uh, most husband and wives can relate to that. And, and on occasion you might bicker and you might get in an argument and you might have a, a disagreement. But you know what you do after a while? Um, is you reconcile. That means you would take your differences and you would come to an agreement in one way or another and you would decide, you know what? We agree on this. 
And we, we can just agree and we'll just leave it there. And you reconcile and you no longer continue to argue about that thing. Aren't you glad that salvation, hey, before we were saved, we were like the other lost people, that we, didn't, that we took pleasure in sin. We didn't like the, the things of God. We didn't like church. We didn't like uh, the, the, uh, the, our sins being exposed. But listen, when you get saved... Praise the Lord, we're reconciled to God. We have that ability to know that we can go to the throne of grace at any time. Because there's reconciliation through Jesus Christ. He has made us, uh, He has restored our relationship with God. What a precious salvation that we have. We see in our pitiful state, we can see our precious salvation. But I want you to see this as well. Don't miss this. In all of these verses that we looked at, I want you to see our powerful God. Look at verse number 8. And this amazes me. We looked at this, but uh, let's go back there in verse number 8. But God, let's go back to verse number 7 because it's hardly uh, fair to go on to verse 8 without verse number 7. He says in verse 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. There goes the piano. Shut off. And he goes, he's saying... Listen, for somebody that's good, somebody might die for them. Somebody that's a, a righteous man, they might say, man, he's a good fellow. I'm, hey, I'm gonna, I'm, I'll, I'll take a bullet for him. I'll stand up for that person. Hey, I'll give my life for that person uh, to, to, to spare them. I will save them uh, and die in their place because that's a good person. And we might do that for a good fella. But what he's saying in verse number 8, what an amazing God we serve because, listen, He didn't do it for a good fella. You go back to our pitiful state. Hey, we were without strength. We were unable to save ourselves. We were helpless in all, all uh, facts of the matter. We were ungodly sinners who liked our sin and did not want to have anything to do with God. And listen, that is God that loved us. What a wonderful God we have that would care for us when nobody else would. What an unbelievable God we have. This is not close to that, but it's maybe could help us understand a little bit. In Peru, we had um, a lot of the people were farmers that we would minister to, and a lot of them were poorer people, to be honest with you. Even, even for Peruvians, they were, some were poor, and, and oftentimes poor people were treated very poorly by, uh, by other Peruvians who were, were better off. And uh, it's just kind of the way it was. And many times they were as regarded as unimportant. And, and listen, we didn't, we didn't treat people like that because I don't believe uh, this verse illustrates that, hey, God loved us when we were unlovable. And, and so we ought to show God's love to the world. So uh, we attempted to love people that, that were unlovable, perhaps. And uh, so we didn't treat people like that. We treated everyone the same and they would come to our church and we'd invite them to our church. And sometimes I think they came out of curiosity. uh, What's this American doing in our town? And so they'd come to find out, hey, what we were doing there. And I remember we had a couple, uh, a couple of ladies, and they were not very well off, and, uh, and, and some of them uh, were kind of farmer-type uh, people, and, and they didn't, uh, they, man, they'd come in, and we would say hi to them, and, and they might barely say hi to us, and then uh, they would never talk to us. Uh, because they just kind of expected, they, they weren't treated well by everyone else, they didn't expect us to treat them very well either, like regular people. 
We did, and I'm telling you, for, for years, we would, for a couple years, two, three years, we would talk to them and say hi and whatnot, and they would barely look at us, and they would barely talk to us, and we'd try and uh, develop a, a friendly relationship with them. And I'm telling you, it took a, a long time, and it took years to be able to build a relationship. And finally, at the end, uh, towards the end, they, they would actually talk to us. Why? Because they saw we, we would treat them just like normal people. Aren't you glad that we have a God who loves us when we're not very lovable? Who will treat us as though we're worth something, though in reality we're, we're probably not worth much. But the Bible says here in this verse 8, but God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What an amazing God that God would love us that much, even though we may be not worth it, uh, at least in our own minds. Uh, listen, that word uh, commend means to represent worthy of notice, regard, or kindness. God not just only loved us, but He recognized us as somebody, and He said, hey, that person is worth my love. You might look at that person and say, that person? Listen, but by the grace of God, there go we. Hey, we're, we're just, we were just as pitifully uh, lost as, as those people are. And let me tell you something. God still loves people. It'll never get old. It never cease to amaze me that God loves some of the worst of people. And, and we say that and we kind of look down our nose at other people. Listen, God loves all people. And He loved us at our absolute worst state. And the Bible says that scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love. He saw worthy of us, uh, the, His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us in our sin. He sacrificed His life for us. Verse number 9, we covered this a little bit. Much more than being now justified by His blood. We looked at these verses earlier, 1 Peter 1.18. Uh, for as much as you know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot without blemish, and without spot. What a great God that He would deem us worthy, us lost in our pitiful state, us that were not seeking God, us that uh, did not like God, did not like His righteousness. We enjoyed our sins, to be honest with you. And He said, I love them so much that my precious Son will go all the way to Calvary. He'll live an absolutely perfect life. He did not deserve to be crucified. He did not deserve any punishment. He did not deserve to die. And yet He shed His own precious blood. Why? Out of a loving, compassionate heart to be a sacrifice for lost people. Praise the Lord. What a wonderful God. How, how could you ask for a better example and a better love than God showed us? Then it says in verse 10, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Listen, 
He didn't just die on the cross. He didn't just love us and, and, and make a plan to come to the world. He came to the world and He died on the cross, but He didn't just die on the cross. The Bible says also that He rose from the dead. Man, there's, there is power in that victory that He had over death, hell, and the grave. There is power in knowing that He rose from the dead and that He sits on the right hand of the, the throne of God. And it says here in the last phrase of verse number 10, we shall be saved by His life. I thought of the song, because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because He lives. Uh, we sing that song because I know He holds the future and life is worth the living just because He lives. Hey, praise the Lord for the salvation that we have that He gave to us by raising from the dead. What a powerful God we have. He loved us. He made a plan and He executed the plan and He rose from the dead and He loves every person. Listen, there is nobody, absolutely nobody, outside of the love of God. We talked about that last Sunday morning. It's the will of God that every person be saved. Uh, the Lord's not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is willing that all should come to repentance. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God loves every person. We preach against sin. There's no doubt about it. God hates our sin, but He loves the sinner. We won't stop preaching about sin, but you mark it down. God loves every person. There's no person that God doesn't love. The, the, the worst, most vile person in this world, God shed His blood for them. And listen, I, until a person absolutely dies, I think there, there could be a possibility they could get saved. Some people debate, well, uh, are they a reprobate? Can they not get saved? And listen, all I know is that God shed His blood for every single person and He loved us in our lost, wicked state. And He loves every single person. And I'm not willing to give up on any single person till they're dead. Because after they're dead, then obviously it's too late. But up until that time, Hey, God could work on their heart. They could get saved. They could trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. Will they? I don't know. I can't answer that. But I can tell you that God loves them. That's why He came. That's why He died. What a wonderful God we serve. What an absolutely marvelous God that loves us. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet. Father, we thank You for your goodness to us. Thank you for truly a great salvation we have. God, you loved us when we were unlovable. You loved us when we were wicked and lost in our sin. And God, we don't like to necessarily admit where we were, but in reality, we all were there. There was none of us that was no one that, that is righteous, the Bible says. No, not one. And God, you loved us. May we be motivated because of your great love to love you and serve you because of how good you've been to us. And how great a salvation that you've given to us. That you justified us, that you reconciled us, that you saved us from wrath to come. 
God, we're truly blessed. God, I pray that you'd bless each and every person. May they be encouraged. May they be strengthened by how truly good you are to us. And we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we have a short hymn of invitation, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. What an amazing God. so good.